Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I am your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have a great guest. He is a multi-business owner and founder of Finn Elevate. And this MBA-led strategic accounting firm helps business owners use their numbers to make money rather than uh, simply better categorizing their expenses. As CEO and owner of manufacturing distribution service businesses, he developed a passion for demystifying small business finance and supporting fellow entrepreneurs in achieving their dreams. So let's welcome Colin Sandberg. How are you doing today, Colin? Doing great, Victor. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on. So, kind of like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How'd you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, I'll give you the the very short version um, relative to how long it actually took. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so the it was really something that I realized when I was 21 years old. I actually read a magazine article, believe it or not, um, about a guy, an entrepreneur who had failed, and then and then basically kind of dust picked himself up and dusted himself off and and got back after it and figured out a really unique path to make a successful business. And for me at the time in life, I was kind of in a, um, a similar phase. I had kind of struggled in my late teens and, and basically decided that I needed to get my life together. And so reading this article was a major catalyst. And so I basically uh, found the person nearest me who had a, a small business and went to work for him. And 22 years later, I still own that business. Uh, it was a big turnaround project. It was. It took a long time and many years of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of tears, uh, to get it back on track and, and dig it out of the hole that I found it in. And as I did that, I was able to invest in other companies and, and eventually hire a CEO to run the, the original company. And so, yeah, that was kind of my entrepreneur origin story. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Basically, so you're 21, you read this magazine article about an entrepreneur who failed and got back up. You didn't give up. And and that inspired you. And you eventually were, found the person nearby you who owned a small business. You went to work for him. And 22 years later, you're still there and you own the business now. And you you obviously later invested in other companies. Now, um, how was it those first few years, you know, working in that small business? And also, uh, how long did it take before you actually took over the business from that person? So I was there for about five years before I, I ran the company as CEO, but there were probably two or three years uh, toward the end of that five years that I was, you know, I would kind of argue I was having to like arm wrestle my way into running the company every day where I'd have to try and overcome some of the decisions the way they were being made and, and convince, cajole, otherwise uh, try and intimidate my way into getting them uh, done the way that they needed to be done. But um, it was it was kind of a classic uh, small business being run by someone who's passionate about the product. They they really understand the customers and know how to sell, but really have no um, business acumen per se. And so that made for a lot of challenges that we had to overcome. And that was you know a really pivotal pivotal time in my life of learning about small business with a very raw like firsthand experience for every lesson that I could gain immediate uh application and 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 kind of the learning from the heartache that came from the struggles of of that era mm -hmm. 
And could you talk a little bit more about some of the struggles that you have? Because, you know, a lot of people who are interested in becoming entrepreneurs, they think like, oh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to make a million dollars immediately first. Everything is going to be smooth sailing. And, and I'm sure from your experience, there were a lot of ups and downs. There were some various struggles which you were eventually able to overcome. And you probably became a better and stronger entrepreneur because of the adversity you overcame. So do you mind talking a little bit about some of those struggles that you have and, you know, and talk about how you, you, you were able to develop that business acumen that helped you become more successful later on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, you know, I'd say the, the initial struggles to your point, you know, a lot of people have this kind of fantastical concept of what entrepreneurship would be. A lot of that is what's promoted in the media right now is like this idea of, I'm just going to start a company, um, you know, sell part of it on shark tank or in some sort of similar, you know, someone's going to swoop me off my feet, put a bunch of money into my company. I'm going to ride off in the sunset and be rich and everything's going to go smoothly. And the reality is no successful small business has that path. It's just not, you know, not realistic. Um, and so, yeah, we had every, I, I like to say, if there were 10 things that could kill a company, we were doing nine out of 10. We had the most disastrous financials you could imagine. We had hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory that we couldn't sell. We had uh, receivables that we couldn't collect. Our AR was less than what our AP was, meaning we owed our vendors more money than our customers owed us, even though some of it we couldn't collect. We didn't have enough money in the bank um, to consistently make payroll. We had no concept of what our pricing and cost structure was. We were trying to sell everything to everyone instead of understanding where we could actually make money. So we were just a mess. And to your point, you know, I, I, I think I spent a, a segment of my career wishing that I'd had great mentors who could teach me the right way to do things. And I realized that that wasn't what my path was meant to be. My path was learning from a lot of the wrong ways to do things and having to eventually figure out what the right way would look like. And, you know, that was, um, to your point, maybe not the way that I wanted it to go down at the time, but looking back, that's that's a superpower to me. Being able to confidently say exactly um you know how i learned individual lessons and the aha moments that came with them has been you know really a calling card for my business and changed the way i, I look at life mm -hmm. so basically from all the things that your company struggled with in the early years and you say you guys did like nine out of ten things wrong you know, like you guys owe your vendors more than your customers owe you so there were a big mess uh things going on that were not going right but eventually, you know, you overcame that adversity and you figured things out and you did it pretty much the hard way. And you think it made you a better teacher, a better uh, financial person, someone who can help count, uh, consult and teach people better. Uh, that pretty much it. So um, that's pretty much what you're saying is that made you, made you a stronger person, helped you teach other people. And then you're able to show what they can avoid doing, how, what to do right, what to do wrong. Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you use the word uh, teacher. You're right. It, it forced me to be a student of the game. Right out of the, the gate, you know, it, the overwhelm that came with realizing how many things I didn't know and how many things I couldn't answer in the early days led to me being a really passionate learner about business and ultimately teacher of, of business, you know, to friends, colleagues, and, and, and hey, everything's a two-way street, right? So I'm learning. To this day, I feel like I'm learning more faster than I ever have. And that's, you know, to me, that's the beauty of this game is there's an endless amount of depth that we can learn about, understand ourselves, understand our environment, understand what works and what doesn't. 
And then when you connect with other entrepreneurs on that front, it's like the, the most glorious connection of collaborative learning, uh, which is what I love. Yeah, collaborative learning, learning with other entrepreneurs, learning from them, mastermind. I definitely agree. It is really powerful. You can it helps all sides involved. Totally agree with you. So now for now for those that are interested in open up their small business and you know they're brand new, they really haven't done this before. Um, obviously, no matter what, you're always going to make some mistakes. But what are some of the what are some of the major mistakes they should avoid doing, and what are some of the things they should focus on, especially when it comes to the financial part of the business? You know, what are some of the mistakes you know based on your experience that they should try to avoid doing that many new small businesses do and uh, that really mess them up? Well, the first one is you know you should be able to understand any business and how you're going to make money on the back of a napkin. So. When I say that, what I mean is let's let's demystify the complexities of running a business for a second and just realize that at the end of the day, we have revenue minus costs equals profit, right? And those types of costs, I think it's important to break down the big ones. The big ones are going to be what you pay for your product or, or outsource cost of your service. Then you've got labor, you've got sales and marketing costs, and you have overhead. And so I like to break any business I see down into those type of categories and just say, with knowing that I now know which of those are fixed, like overhead items like rent, they're not going to change. I could double my revenue and the rent's going to be the same. But some of those items uh, are going to go directly up and down with revenue, like my cost of my product. And then the really interesting ones are the ones in the middle, like labor, where, okay, I can get away with a certain amount of growth of revenue without touching labor, but then I'm going to hit a new level where I'm going to need another round of labor and, and that's going to be a big expense. And so when you start thinking of your business that way, you can kind of do what if scenarios. What if my revenue went in half? What if it doubled? And so, you know, I do that even with my kids, you know, believe it or not, we're walking into a sandwich shop. I'm like, all right, kids, how many, you know, sandwiches, eight bucks, how many of these sandwiches can they possibly sell in a day? You know, if they're doing a hundred of them at lunch, I mean, $800 lunch, look around, you think you can make money with $800. So it's, it's just thinking about business in it's very kind of simple, like lemonade stand style uh, economics. And I think a lot of people get so caught up in what they want to sell. And this idea, like you're saying of, you know, being a business owner is this kind of fantasy land version. And, and when you really figure out where the rubber meets the road on, okay, how much sales would I need to get this amount of revenue to get, you know, cover these type of costs and come out with this kind of profit you start to realize pretty quickly how many businesses are entered into with kind of a false uh, construct. It's just not realistic. All right, so that makes a lot of sense. You got to basically simple question: revenue minus cost is your profit. You got to look at you know some costs are going to be fixed like your rent, but other costs are going to be variable like you know your products and other things. And if you can break it down further and just saying you know. Uh, what's you know well, how much of a profit is going to give, give me and then certain labor for so examples like you know I could have this much labor I'll make this much profit but if I want to make more profit do I need to, you know how much more labor do I need to do so these equations you need to look at and you you call them one diff equations and you know, you know you 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 look and see you know how much how many sales do I need to get this much revenue so I don't think a lot of small business especially in the beginning do that they don't know their numbers and when you don't know your numbers you don't know what to do. And because they're saying what gets measured gets managed. So you don't know what to manage if you don't know your numbers. Is that correct? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm a huge believer in that. And unfortunately, like I said, most most small businesses kind of said this as part of my origin story. 
um, the founder of the company that I now own is was just like most small business owners. They they see the value of this product that they can provide, and so they focus all their energy on sales. And those are two really important uh, components. But exactly to your point, what's get you know what gets measured gets managed, and it, there becomes this lack of financial knowledge that becomes almost an insecurity in business owners a lot of times. And they're hiding from this lack of knowledge. And as the business grows, even if they step up their game a little bit, the complexity of the business, you know, really uh, exponentially grows. And so if they're not continuing to work hard at the financial side of their business and their financial business acumen, they're getting further and further behind the more the business takes off. And so to your point, they're not seeing the check engine light when it comes on. They don't know that you know, hey, there's some some slowdown in how fast we're collecting collecting our accounts receivable. That's a warning sign. We need to be aware of that. And so, because they're not aware of those things, they're really just adding risk that doesn't need to be added to the business. Yeah, that's a good point. They're adding risk to the business that doesn't need to be there because they don't know the numbers. They're not learning. They don't have that financial knowledge and education, which is why it's so critical and important to do that. And like you said, it also leads to an insecurity. And as things grow and get bigger, it probably leads makes the insecurity even, even uh, bigger. Now, it, 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 I'm not saying okay, but in some cases, would it? It, it would it be if the person obviously the, the owner needs to have some knowledge of the finance has you know to oversee things but it, it, is it is a good idea maybe in some case to hire someone you know uh, like a vp or someone who, who, who knows the numbers who's knowledgeable about all these things who can help oversee the numbers and then reporting back to you and you can go over it with them so even though you may not know as well as he does but that person could help you you know deal with it would you, would you think that's a good idea in some cases I, I think it really depends. I mean, I'm, I am a big believer that you have to have a, a broad overview understanding of anything that you manage. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies to CEOs just like it does, you know, the head of sales, right? The head of sales is a different skill set than being a salesperson. But if you don't understand how to be a salesperson, how can you be head of sales, right? And mm -hmm. so I think the risk is, you know, that that's a lot of small businesses and my first business included were uh, prior to my time, uh, have someone who actually embezzles from them. So that was one of the very first things that happened on my, um, when I took over the finances of my first business was that I found that someone on the company, the very first employee has actually been embezzling from us. What am I going to do about that? Right? So that, that happens when you have a, um, a level of ignorance in the owner's box, uh, somebody who's running the company, but they're not really aware of what's happening and they're not paying attention. And they just think, Oh my gosh, this part of the business I don't like is now being taken care of by somebody else. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And nothing could be further from the truth. You're actually more dangerous with that other person than you would be with just doing it yourself. You have to have that education. But, you know, that's something that our, our, my small business that I've started, uh, Fin Elevate, we, we do the bookkeeping and accounting for small businesses. And it's partially for that same reason. So, we look at that risk and we're very upfront about that. You know, I don't have access to our client information, even though I'm the CEO of the company, because that's only being touched by the people who are, are doing the books. Um, we have an outside CPA that reviews our work. We have an insurance policy that covers fraud. I mean, you know, you really can line up some very smart things to mitigate those risks. But what I hate to see is a business owner who says, well, I, I hired you know tony and tony's great and tony knows finance and so i get to take my foot off the gas pedal and i don't have to worry about that anymore and that's a really dangerous uh, mindset that trap that some small businesses fall into 
No, and that's a very important point because, like, if you don't know anything what's going on, you just trust this person. Unfortunately, you mentioned the case that embezzlement happens for it. That was because the person that doesn't know says, I don't want to know anything about it. That's a very dangerous thing to do because the person can be stealing money from you. You have no idea. And they're very clever in the way they hide things from you. So they take an 100, 200,000 from you and you have no idea what's going on. So, um, yeah, and you mentioned your company. You guys do the bookkeeping accounting for some of these companies. You have an outside CPA review it. You have an insurance policy that covers the fraud. And uh, you mind also talking a little bit more about some of the things Finn Elevate does, you know, you know, in terms of how they're, you know, changing things for accounting and how small businesses, you know, look at their numbers and look in, in detail all these different things and how they're educating these small businesses in terms of increasing their financial knowledge and knowing their numbers. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, as I mentioned, I have multiple businesses and this was a challenge I tried to solve for myself, which was how to, how to add value in uh, the accounting side. And I, I struggled early on to figure that out. But once I ultimately did, I realized this was something that many small businesses beyond just mine needed. So the basic gist of how we approach it is we want to figure out what the business owner's goals are. So I can't help you achieve a goal if I don't understand what that goal is. And for most small business owners, it's one of four common goals. They're either looking to grow their business. They want to increase profitability. They want to add cash flow or improve their cash flow, or they want to exit the business ultimately. And a lot of times it's two or three of those goals, but we're going to put them in a certain order, uh, in the order that makes sense, right? So uh, as we know that goal, we then have what we call the FIN score, which is a financial scorecard. It helps people see like on a very check engine light basis, are things going well, are things going poorly toward my, my four potential goals? And so if we know what the business owner's goal is and we know where their FIN score stands, then a playbook naturally is dictated that says, here's how you get them more growth. And so that's what what I've done in, in founding this business. It's very different than how other, you know, bookkeeping, uh, accounting companies come at this. They strictly are worried about, you know, categorizing your credit card expenses and getting your monthly clothes done. I know that that's the foundations, but the whole point of business is to make more money and to make life better for the business owner, for the, the other employees, for the clients, for the, the vendors and everyone. And so we're, we can't do that if we're not getting better. And if we're tying up resources to do bookkeeping and they're just kind of doing the basics, then and telling you, you know, 15 days later what happened last month, that's not really value added. We've got to get in the weeds and, and help you actually make improvements. That makes sense. You got to get in there and make the improvements. You can't tell them like, you know, 15 days later. And, you know, knowing their FIN score, their financial scoreboard, um, you know, and the owners go, all that stuff makes a lot of sense. You have to be uh, on top of everything. You know, I'll show them how you guys can make improvements and, you know, get rid of things that aren't going well and show them how they can improve things. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things that you did was, even though you're already a business owner, you decided to pursue your executive MBA. So you might talk a little bit about that, why you decided to pursue. Was it to help increase your financial knowledge that, number one, to help improve your businesses, as well as to help guide and consult other businesses as well that you work with or were there other reasons as well? Yeah, I was. so I was a, a, pa a passionate small business owner and I had at that point already gotten into mastermind groups and met a, many other small business owners. But I, I found even in those mastermind groups, which I would say is, you know, back in those days was a little less common. Now business owners, you know, most business owners are reading books and they're they're in some sort of groups and they're really, they're working on their game. But in those days, I would meet small business owners who really just hadn't stepped up their game that much. Even some of those who were reading some books, they'd still tell you why things couldn't work. And, 
And there was this common belief that big business behaviors just were like, well, that, that would never work in a small business. And that always just kind of stuck with me. And so I, when I went back to get my executive MBA, even though I was already um, the CEO of, of the, my first company, it was really with this idea of I'm going to learn about what's worked for big business because the reality is every big business starts as a small business. Like no business starts out as a Fortune 500 its first year. It just doesn't work that way. So it doesn't matter, you know, if we're talking Walmart or Apple or Amazon or the list goes on and on of you, you can trace back their humble beginnings. And, and I look at that and thought, you know, from a financial standpoint, no business crosses over from being a small business to a mid or large size business without getting their financial house in order. And that was a big light bulb moment it was that most small businesses aren't surrounding themselves with the type of business acumen that actually gets them there. And the same is true for strategy and the management of people and, and all the other aspects of business. And so that was a real passion of mine was to keep learning and deepening my knowledge. And when I felt like, not that I'd outgrown small businesses and masterminds, but that I, I was ready to see the other side of things, that's when I went back and, and, and went to business school. And it was great. I was in business school with people who were working for AT&T and you know, these giant companies and they understood a tiny slice of business. And I felt like I got to go back to my company after every, you know, Friday and Saturday, I was there for executive MBA school. I get to go back to my company and like real world, hands-on, in the weeds, implement some of the things I was learning. And it just completely changed my, my understanding of business. So basically gave you, gave you other perspectives by going to the, uh, going to the MDA school and learning from other people, talk to them, but you have people working for a lot of different big companies. So you're able to implement some of those strategies in, in your business and it made you a better financial business owner. And so you definitely learned a lot there. And no, and like you said, a lot of these small companies, they all had, they all had these big companies, they all had humble beginnings. They didn't become Fortune 500 overnight. So at the time, they had to get better business knowledge, better financial acumen. And that's one of the reasons why you decided to go for the executive MBA, which makes a lot of sense. And definitely, you know, you became, you know, it, it definitely made you a better person, a stronger, a, a smarter, a wiser, and a more financially sound person for your business and for other people as well. Now, Colin, as we're getting toward the end of our interview, are there any other last minute pieces of advice? advice you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I'll tell you one of my latest obsessions, if, if, um, you know, if you're out there running an existing business, I can't emphasize enough how profound the power of pricing is. So it, what I mean by that is, you know, if you were to, and most business owners just don't have the kind of financial fundamentals to think of it this way, but it, most people think, well, if I doubled my prices, I double my profit. The reality is if you doubled your prices, let's say you're making 10% profit right now, if you doubled your prices, you'd make 11 times more profit than you do now. And most businesses, look, you can't double your prices. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is the power of that money dropping directly to the bottom line, if you were to go up only 10% on your prices, you would double your profit. So when people really start to see that, their eyes become open to that. And it's, it's not a question of, can I double my prices? If the answer you don't think is yes, then it's a question of what would it take to justify me raising my prices? It's that simple. And the, the profound nature of higher prices means not only more profitability, which I know to someone who maybe is, is not there yet in business, or certainly a lot of employees of a frontline business think, well, double the profit, you know, the 
now the owner's getting a jet or whatever. No, what we're talking about is money that can be reinvested for, you know, building out your, your plant and equipment, hiring new people, um, helping to continue with your training, you know, any of the things that are reinvestments that ultimately add, you know, value to the business, those only come from a profitable business. You can't do that if you're barely keeping the lights on. Yeah, no, and it's interesting that you mentioned the power price because I, I don't think most people think of it that way. Like, so you, you, you double your pricing could lead to maybe improving it 11 times. You re, you go up 10% of your prices, it could double your profit. I don't think most people ever saw that way. I can be honest with you, I didn't as well. So that's a very interesting way of looking at things. And, um, and like I said, you know, yeah, you're not going to just, you know, spend it on a yacht or a jet plane. You're going to reinvest in your business and help grow it and make it even more profitable, which is what you need to do with your extra profits. You got to invest a portion of it back into the business. That's what the smart business people do. And you made me think of something. And, and let me know what you think about this. Uh, one of the guys, a sales guru, uh, Grant Cardone, says it's very it's, and this is something that tends to be for a lot of new businesses that are making money. They're afraid to charge too much. But this is, he says it can be very dangerous charging too little because people see your quality your product is too inferior and very often they won't even go for it so he warns about charging too low as well but which is what a lot of people do in the beginning because they're afraid they won't get any customers is there a danger sometimes of charging too little for your product that is a huge danger i mean i think uh grant cardone's absolutely spot on with that not only will people perceive your value based on that number but you also run the risk that, you know, one, the, the thing I always say is people always say, well, you know, what's the kind of market average? And let me go a little below that. And that'll be really easy to sell. Well, it might be easy to sell, but then you have to service it. Right. And so having to try and do that with less revenue than you can justify or than you really deserve is, is like it is just a, a fool's errand. I mean, you are now you're having to try and squeeze your employees. You can't afford to pay them. You can't afford to reinvest in, in the proper facilities. You start cutting corners on quality. I mean, there, it is a downward spiral of trying to be too low on prices. And it's such a common mistake, which is why I love to talk about it you know, to other entrepreneurs and just get everyone's mind right around it. It is not a question of purely price. It's a question of perceived value, which is exactly what Grant Cardone is talking about. If my perceived value is high, I can charge high. And so if my, if I can't charge high, then I need to ask what's wrong with my perceived value and go fix that, not lower my prices down to the point where somebody will finally buy something. Yeah. I like that. It's what is your perceived value? Is it high or is it low? And if it's not that high, how can I, why is it that way? How can I make the perceived value higher to the public in general? And you mentioned that if you, if you service less revenue, it's a full zero and you, you have to cut corners. It's a downward spot. You can't pay your employees as much and it leads to a lot of you know bitterness and resentment. So very few people are going to be happy in that company. So definitely, I love what you just shared there. It's definitely a lot of golden nuggets right there. So be careful about charging to look because it could lead to a whole host of problems. So, Colin, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It was a real pleasure having you on. You shared a lot of great value, a lot of great wisdom. And I know the people listening to this episode uh, are going to learn a lot from listening to it. If people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, so the best two ways are, you know, go to finelevate.com, F-I-N-E-L-E-V-A-T-E.com. I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. 
as well as just look me up on LinkedIn. You know, I love connecting with other entrepreneurs, no matter where you are in that journey, whether you're in the early stages, you're further on, whether you think that, you know, working with Fin Elevate would make sense or not. This is not like a, a sales pitch. I just love connecting with other entrepreneurs, love giving advice, uh, learning from others and, you know, just connecting. So those are the two best ways. And it's just Colin Sandberg uh, at LinkedIn. All right. Sounds great. Thanks again, Colin. I really appreciate it. Have yourself a great day. You too. Thanks, Victor. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.